Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be going over chapter 5 of the history of reincarnation. And if I can make it all fit into one podcast, I'll go over chapter 4 of the teaching of the doctrines of eternal lives. But we'll get into this first part. Um, Basically, I'm just laying the foundation of what reincarnation is and also showing the difference between reincarnation and the doctrine of eternal lives. So basically, reincarnation is a perversion of the doctrine of eternal lives. So that's why I'm doing it the way I'm doing it now. Anyway, here we go. Chapter 5 of the Book of Reincarnation, A History of Reincarnation. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. Revelations chapter 12 verse 9. Since reincarnation is one of the most accepted religious concepts in the world, it may be said that it is almost the religion of the whole world. If the devil is deceiving the whole world, reincarnation must be a central part of his gospel which is all of, which is alive and well in every nation. One of the most difficult challenges to those believing in reincarnation is determining which version is correct, since there is no primary source or original reference book such as the Bible or any other ancient record. The philosophy has just filtered down through many different peoples and nations. Interesting rituals are performed, ceremonies observed, and special days are allowed in the celebration of this rebirth. Some ancient Egyptians are said to have practiced embalming to prevent or delay rebirth into mortality again. The spirit which leaves the body at death has been represented in art by the Greeks as a butterfly, in Egypt as a hawk, a bird in Europe, as a pigeon by the Lombards, and as a wasp by the tribes of Assam. We're on page 27. Some religions believe it is possible for the spirit of one individual to enter into the body of another, as Poso Alfors of Celebes believe in three souls, a vital principle, the intellectual, and the divine element. Those who live wickedly, it is, it has been said, will come back as insects or dung beetles. The Akoria, I'm not sure how to say that, Akikuru, I guess, I don't know, women of East Afri- Africa who wish to have children will worship at the thick ficus tree which is supposed to be inhabited with the souls of the dead 
There are three, there are stories of trees and flowers that grow up from graves and are animated by spirits of the dead buried there. These spirits can even take up residence in fields of grain. Since there is no original reference book on reincarnation, it is difficult to gather information on its history. The multitude of sources has been used in collecting materials for this chapter on the histories and traditions of nations and cultures embracing this belief, like that of Egypt, India, Tibet, Greece, Rome, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, and Theophacy. Each of these histories is discussed very briefly with the suggestion that the reader consider the source of each and compare it with the restoration of the gospel principles to Joseph Smith. Egypt. Very little information comes from Egypt concerning reincarnation, reincarnated beings, but one example is from the Book of the Dead. Neb Senai, or Senai, the Lord of Reverence, saith, I am yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I have the power to be born a second time. I am the divine hidden soul who created the gods and who giveth sepulchres, um, sepulchral meals unto the Denise of Tuat, or the underworld, Emantat, and heaven. Homage to thee, O governor, of those who are in eminent. Amen, Amenti, I guess, who make mortals to be born again, who renewest thy youth. And that's quoted in Reincarnation by Eva Martin, page 29. So we're on page 28 now. Oh, that's interesting. I just found out that I can put my... It's not as big as the other one, though. <laughs> Well, whatever. Anyway, let me just put this over to the side. Uh, so those of you on the podcast, you're not seeing this, but I'm making a screenshot video as I'm reading. And I have a program that I was using to have a little picture of myself up in the corner. Uh, but it went out. And um, I figured out that there's another way that I can put my picture on the screen. But it's not as big. It doesn't matter. I guess... I'll just read it anyway. People don't really need to see me. But for some reason, when I do live streams, when I do, like, videos, like, more people watch it. Like, if it's the video of me. If it's just a video of the the text that I'm reading, like, the videos don't do as well. So I don't know why y'all want to see me. I don't... I wish that you... I I don't know. I just... I don't know why people want to see me, but... Whatever, I'm trying to uh, be nice to people. So anyway, we're going to do 10-minute increments of these so that uh, they can be put out in 10-minute increments. So page 28. The Egyptians had very deep religious expressions and their status, paintings, funeral structures, and embalmed bodies indicated a solemn belief in the hereafter. In India... The predominant belief 
believers in reincarnation are the Hindus of India. It is practically the national religion, with few exceptions, yet it was not always so. The doctrine of transmigration of souls is in India the presumption which underlies not only Buddhism and Jainism, but also the philosophical systems of the Brahmins and the whole of Hinduism. In the ancient Vedic period, it has been it had as yet no existence. At the time, the Indian people were still filled with a keen delight in life, and the righteous men looked forward to eternal continuance of existence after death. They believed that good men ascended to heaven to the companionship of the gods, and there led a painless existence, free from all earthly imperfections, a happy life, which was usually depicted as an enjoy, enjoyment of sen, sensual pleasures, but was yet occasionally conceived in a higher spiritual sense. These naive representations of the soul soul's fate after death experienced a real change when suddenly and without any transitional stages that we can perceive the indian people were seized by the oppression oppressive belief in transmigration which holds its capt which holds it captive to the present day encyclopedia of Re- religion and ethics volume 12 page 434 at the basis of the indian conception of transmigration lays all the immovable convictions that there is no unmerited happiness and no unmerited misery that each person shapes his own destiny. Hinduism has no formal organization and its teachings are handed down from father to son, becoming the principal factor in his life. His religion is his whole life, permeating through everything that he does and thinks. Christians do not, Christians would do well to take note of what devotion really means by studying the life and thought of the Hindu. Uh, And then we're on page 29, so I will end this part of the video, but the podcast will go on. Okay, so we're on page 29 of the Book of Reincarnation. We're in chapter 5. Wow. All right, so... Sir Monier Williams explained, quote, Religion is ever-present to a Hindu's mind. At color, it colors all his ideas. It runs through every fiber of his being. It is the very alpha and omega of his whole earthly career. He is born religious and dies religious. He is religious in his eating and drinking, in his sleeping and walking, in his dressing and undressing, in his rinsing up and sitting down, I'm sorry, rising up and sitting down, in his work and amusement, nay, religion attends him in antinatal ceremonies long before his birth. So that just means like before he's born. And follows him in an endless offering for the good of his soul long after, after death. Religious life and thought in India, Williams, page 6. The ancient Bhagavad Bhagavada 
Gita, I guess. I, I know I'm saying that wrong. I've, I've heard the word before, but I don't remember how to say it now. In the basic philosophy of India for the believers of reincarnation, the historian Will Durant said in It is the New Testament of India, revered next to the Vedas themselves. And I think the Vedas are a collection of books like the Bible. And used in the law courts like our Bible or the Quran for the administration of oaths. Wilhelm von Humboldt pronounced it the most beautiful, perhaps the only true philosophical song existing in any known tongue, perhaps the deepest and loftiest thing the world has to show. And that comes from Our Oriental Heritage, page 565. In the tradition of those believing in reincarnation, the author of the Bhagavad Gita didn't even leave his name attached to it, apparently because he had desired no temple honors or praise. Any attachment to such things of this world would be a sin or a deterrent to reaching his nirvana. We don't even know when it was written, probably a few uh, centuries B.C., so before Christ. But this typical, but this is typical of the thought and feeling of the reincarnation, reincarnationalist of India, on page 30. The Hindu concept of God is not very, is not very different from that of apostate Christian religion whose confusing views on the Creator is described as follows. The Vedas, or the ancient sacred books of the Hindus, distinctly set forth the doctrine of the infinite and eternal Supreme Being. Thus, according to the Vedas, there is one unknown true being, all-present, all-powerful, the Creator, Preserver, and Destroyer of the Universe. The Supreme Being is not comprehensible by vision or by any other organs of sense, nor can he be, conce- or can he be see- conceived by means of devotion or virtuous practices. So we're on page 31. He is not space, nor air, nor light, nor atoms, nor soul, nor nature. He is above all these things and the cause of them all. He has no feet, but extends everywhere. He has no hands, but holds everything. He has no eyes, yet he yet sees all that is. He has no ears, yet hears everything that passes. His existence has no cause. He is the smallest of the small and the greatest of the great. Such is the doctrine of the Vedas in its purest and most abstract form. But prevailing theology theology which runs through them is what is called pantheism or that system which speaks of God as the soul of the universe or the universe itself according to the whole tone and language of the highest Hindu philosophy um, and is pantheistic which means there are many gods all that exists is God, whether we smell or taste or see or feel or or hear is the supreme being. See, seeing, 
say the Hindus that God pervades and animates the whole universe, everything living or dead may be considered a portion of the divine substance. In this way, whatever the eyes look on or the mind can conceive, whether it be the sun in the heavens or the great river Ganges or the crocodiles on its banks or the cow or the fire kindled to cook food or the Vedas or the Brahman, which is kind of like the rabbi or the minister, or a tree or a serpent, all may be legitimately worshipped as a fragment, so to speak, of the divine spirit. Thus there may be many millions of gods to which Hindus think themselves entitled to pay divine honors. The numbers of the Hindu god is calculated at 330 million, three times more the number of their worshippers. And that's taken from Chambers, Information for the People, reported in the Millennial Star, um, 1850, uh, volume... So Millennial Star is a Mormon publication that... This one was published in the 1850s, and it's in volume 12, page 109, Tibet. In Tibet, the reincarnated Dalai Lama, or ruler of their country, is supposed to be immediately born somewhere as soon as he dies. At his death, everyone seeks for the newborn baby to find the rebirth of their old great Lama who had died so that he can rule again. The following list shows the time intervals between his death and rebirths. So we're on page 32. Birth and death, 1391 to 1475 and then he was born in 1475 and lived till 1543 and then he was born again in 1543 to 1589 then he was born again from 1589 and died in 1617 he was born in 1617 and lived till uh, 1682 then he was born again in 1683 and he uh, died in 1706. And then he was born again in 1708. So I guess he took a year off. <laughs> and he died in 1780 or 1758. Let's see here. And then he was reborn in 1758 and lived till 1805. And then 1805 to 1816, so he didn't live very long. 1819 through 1837, 1837 through 1855, 1856 through 1874, and 1876 through 1933. And then I guess, I don't know, um, I guess the, the one that's alive on the earth is still alive and he was born in se- uh, 1933 or 4 or something like that. Anyway, that's taken from Lemanism by L.A. Waddell, Waddell, page 233. In one instance, it is claimed that in 15, or, see, 1475, the Lama Gaden Trumpa died but passed into the body of a young boy. Oh, interesting. Hmm. All right, well, 
we're going to get into ancient Greece now. Um, let me see what page we're on. So we're still on page 32. And uh, I'll make a new video to start off with ancient Greece. Okay, so we're in ancient Greece now talking about that. Let's see here. Socrates, Pi Pyagoras and Plato were among the ancient Greeks who, it is said, believed in reincarnation. Their great philosopher Socrates, who lived in 399 BC, referred to it as the ancient doctrine. Pythagoras, another Greek philosopher and mathematician, claimed he could remember his past lives and said that he had been a Trojan warrior, a prophet burned to death, a peasant, a wife of a shopkeeper, uh, uh, I can't say that word. A Phoenician prostitute. Plato presented detailed accounts of reincarnation in his major works. He stated that a glutton of drunkards would probably become asses in future lives. Violent people would be born again as wolves or hawks, and people who follow leaders blindly would come back as ants or bees. Since it was such a popular belief at the time, Plato used reincarnation concepts in some of his stories and writings. The earliest Greek thinkers are a thinker with whom metempsychosis, oh, I'm sorry, I wish I was better at reading, is connected to Phyrosides, but Pyagoras, <laughs> who is said to have been his pupil, it is is its first famous philosophic exponent. Pyagoras probably made his reputation by bringing Orphic doctrine from northeastern. Helen Hellas to Magna Graecia. All right, so we're on page 33. The importance of meta metempsychosis is due to Plato in the eschological myth, which closes the Republic. He tells the story of how Ur, the son of Aramaeus, Armenius miraculously returned to life on the twelfth day after death and recounted the secrets of the other world. There are theories to the same effect in other dialogues. The Phardris Meno Fiodo Timius and laws. In Plato's view of the number of souls was fixed, birth therefore is never the creation of a soul, but only the transmigration from one body to another. Plato's acceptance of the doctrine is characteristic of his sympathy with popular beliefs and desire to incorporate them in a purified form into his system. Aristotle had far less emotional and sympathetic mind, has a doctrine of immortality totally inconsistent with it. 
In later Greek literature, the doctrine appears from time to time. <clears throat> it is mentioned in a fragment of the Menander, or the inspired woman, and satirized by Lucian. And that comes from the Encyclopedia of Britannica, 1985 edition, volume 15, page 33. It is difficult to determine if the Greeks bestow, borrowed this belief from some of the Egyptians or the from India. The Orphic doctrine claimed that the soul and body are separated at death to be taken on the will of birth to again be born somewhere else. Orpheus de- declared that the purer the life, the higher would be the next appearance on the earth. These teachings appeared about the 6th century BC. The early Romans. The Roman view of reincarnation was probably inherited from the Greeks, just as many other things, just as many things, other things were, since those two ancient civilizations had many things in common. When Jesus was brought up before Herod, the Roman ruler, he encountered this doctrine, quote, Whatever fear Herod had once felt regarding Jesus, whom he had superstitiously, superstitiously thought to be the re- reincarnation of his murdered victim, John the Baptist, was pl- replaced by amused interest when he saw the far famed prophet of Galilee and bonds before him. So on page 34, for those of you who are reading along with me. Attended by the Roman guard and accompanied by ecclesiastical officials, Herod began to question the prisoner, but Jesus remained silent. The chief priests and scribes vehemently voiced their accusation, but not a word was uttered by the Lord. Herod is the only character in history to whom Jesus is known to have applied a personal epithet of contempt. Uh, Go ye and tell that fox, he once said to certain Pharisees who had come to him with the story that Herod had intended to kill him. As far as we know, Herod is further distinguished as the only being who saw Christ face to face and spoke to him yet never heard his voice. For penitent sinners, weeping women, prattling children, and for the scribes and Pharisees, the Sadducees, the rabbis, and the perjured high priests, and his ob- and his ob- Ugh, I can't say some of these words. Ugh, and insolent underlings, and for Pilate the pagan, Christ had words of comfort and instru- or instruction, of warning or rebuke, of protest or denunciation. Yet for Herod the fox, he had but disdainful and kingly silence. Thoroughly pecued, Herod turned from insulting questions to acts of malignant derision. He and his men-at-arms made sport of the suffering of Christ, set him at naught, and mocked him. Then in traversity they arrayed him in a glorious robe and sent him again to Pilate. 
Herod had found nothing in Jesus to warrant condemnation. And that comes from the book Jesus the Christ by James Talmadge, which was written back in the 1920s and is part of the uh, literature in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They send that out with the missionaries for them to read it to be better missionaries, I guess. But anyway, that's on page 636. The Roman view of reincarnation is evident in Herod's belief that Jesus could have been John the Baptist, whom he had ordered to be killed. The New Testament records now Herod was perplexed because that it was said of some that John had risen from the dead and that some that Elias had appeared and of others that one of the old prophets was risen again. Uh, Luke chapter 9 verses 7 and 8. And see, they had a belief in Judaism of reincarnation or multiple mortal probations. We're going to get more into that as we continue on with this series. Um, We'll get into some evidences for reincarnation or for multiple mortal probations or what is referred to in the Doctrine and Covenants as eternal lives. Many Romans' stories, songs, and poems depicted their belief in being reborn on earth. Okay, so the next page we'll be covering is page 35, talking about Islam. All right, so... Page 35, the Islams. Only a few writings of the Islamic religion indicates that reincarnation had any support among these people. The reincarnationalists point to the Quran, the Bible of the Islams, where it is written, quote, and this is in Surah, chapter 2, verse 28, And you were dead, and he brought you back to life, and he shall cause you to die, and in the end ye shall gather yourselves unto him. End quote. They shall say, Our Lord died twice, thus making us subject to death, and twice hast thou given us life, so we do confess our faults. Is there then a way to get out? How is it that ye believe not in God, since you were dead and he gave you life? He will hereafter cause you to die and will again restore you to life. Then ye shall return to him. And that's in the Quran. The body to the tomb, the spirit to the womb. The soul of the lowest beast goeth to the body of the higher, and the, the soul of the higher beast to the body of the savage the soul of the savage to the man. I I tell you of a truth that the spirits which now have affinity shall be kindred, kindred together, although they all meet in new persons and names. And that's in the new Quran. The main segment of Islam religion that believes in reincarnation is called the Surafs. Islam, which arose some six centuries after Christ, is derived largely from biblical thought and history. As a result of the orthodox mainstream of Islam has disavowed reincarnation, adhering to the Judeo-Christian concept of resurrection, 
However, the mystical wing of Islam, the Surafs, who incorporate who incorporate considerable Oriental teaching and practice into their Muslim faith, have been believers in reincarnation since their inception. And quote by uh, reincarnation by Mark Albrecht, page 30, or on page 36 now. A Sufi poet, Din Rumi, wrote, quote, I died as a mineral and became a plant. I died as a plant and rose to animal. I died as animal and I was a man. Why should I fear? When was I last by dying? Quote in Poetic and Mystic by R.E. Nicholson, page 103. In Judaism, there is no original concept or writing on the topic of transmigration of souls or metempsychosis in early Jewish records. Attempts have been made with little success to find metempsychosis in early Jewish literature, but there are traces of it in Philo, and it is definitely adopted in the Kabbalah, and that comes from the Encyclopedia Britannia, Britannica, volume 15, page 33. This doctrine was foreign to Judaism until about the 8th century, when under the influence of the Mohammedan mystics, it was adopted by the Karaites and other Jewish dissenters. So Karaites are the Jews that believe the word of God literally, and they don't add a bunch of stuff to the Torah. They try to live the Torah perfectly, and all of the the stuff that is added in Judaism that tells them in the Mishnah and, and the Talmud and all of that, they don't pay any attention to that. They try to, they're basically Torah purists. And uh, I only know one who is a Karite Jew, and that's Nehemia Gordon. And I think he's awesome. You should, ch- like, look him up on YouTube. He's, his, his words are delicious just to to listen to him explaining things, at least to me. Anyway, it is first mentioned in Jewish literature by the Sa'adiyah, who protested against this belief, which at his time was shared by the, oh my gosh, Udganites, Udganites, and whomsoever he contemptuously designated as so-called Jews. Although raised by the Kabbalah to the rank of of a dogma, the doctrine of metempsychosis still found great opposition among the leaders of Judaism in the 14th and 15th centuries. Jewish Encyclopedia, volume 12, page 231. The Kabbalah, according to Charles Ponce, was not an established system of principles. Quote, the Kabbalistic tradition is not a unified system of thought or a fixed theology with hard and fast theorems. There are certain basic ideas to be found in Kabbalistic speculation. So we're on page 37 now. But on the whole, each mystic approached the material at hand from a different 
Avenue, adding somewhere here and subtracting some something there. Kabbalah by Charles Ponce, page 200. I'm page 127. I'm getting flustered by all of these words that I can't pronounce. The term Kabbalah translates into tradition, but more specifically, it is a book of mysticism, a theory, and a commentary. Another source of these symbols, letters, astrological, and even physical descriptions of people came from the famous Seraph Sefer Zohar, or Book of Splendor. It is a commentary on the first five books of Moses, as well as commenting on many other ideologies. Some of the, the chapter titles are the Palaces of Light, the Discourse of the Child, the Academy Head, Mysteries of the Torah, Small Additional Pieces, Commentary on the Song of Solomon, Secrets of Letters, so that's Secrets of the Hebrew Letters, the Mystical Midrash, the, the Faithful Shepherd, and others. In a section called Discourse of the Old Man, an old donkey driver discusses the doctrine of metempsychosis with the rabbi. I'm going to turn this down a little bit because I think it's a little bit too loud. And others in a section called Discourses of the Old Man, an old donkey driver discusses the doctrine of metempsychosis with the rabbi. This book is described as a pseudopigraphic work which pretends to be a revelation from God under the form of a commentary by the Pentateuch written partly in Aramaic and partly in Hebrew. It appeared first in Spain in the 13th century. Jewish Encyclopedia, Volume 12, page 689. It was also said that it propagated many superstitious beliefs and produced a host of mystical dreamers and produced a strong tendency to substitute a mystic Judaism for the rabbinical. And that comes from Jewish Encyclopedia, Volume 12, page 693. It was not until the writing of the Zohar in Spain sometime between 1280 and 1290 that the two branches of Kabbalicism, the practical and the speculative, became united. When people speak today of Kabbalah, they generally have this work in mind. So the next page is page 38. And I'll get right into that in just a second. Okay, page 38. Thus, the increasing popularity of the Kabbalah had a great deal to do with greater acceptance of of the reincarnation concept in Judaism. The doctrine of reincarnation or metempsychosis counted so few adherents among the Jews that, with the exception of Abraham, Ibn Dad, no Jewish philosopher until has died even determined it to, uh, 
deemed it necessary to refute it. Only with the spread of the Kabbalah did it begin to take root in Judaism, and when it gained believers, even among men who were little inclined towards mysticism, Jewish Encyclopedia, volume 12, page 232. And I don't necessarily agree with that, because the ancient Jews in the time of Christ believed in reincarnation. And all of this stuff, the Kabbalah, is like way after Christ's time. Anyway, continuing on. The Kabbalists quickly took up the idea of pre-existence and included it in their theory of transmigration or reincarnation. Kabbalah by Ponce, page 201. Christianity. As with Judaism, the ideology of the transmigration of souls was not taught in early Christianity either. Origin was one of the first was the first of the great philosophers and intellectuals who came from within the Christian faith to teach these ideas as truth. This famous Christian father was a convert in the third century and was a Stoic, a Neo-Pythagorean, Pythagorean, a Platoist, a Platoist, a Gnostic, Yet he chose to be a Christian as well. Origen's influences was tremendous, and his writings were in the hundreds. Will Durant described his philosophic bend. Quote, like Platonius, he, Origen, had studied under Ammonius Saccas, and sometimes it is hard to distinguish his philosophy from theirs. God in origin is not Yahweh or Jehovah. He is the first principle of all things. Christ is not the human figure described in the New Testament. He is the Logos or the reason who organizes the world. As such, he was the creator by God the Father. He was created by God the Father and is subordinate to him. In origin, as in Plotonius, the soul passes through a succession of stages and embodies embodiments before entering the body. And after death, it will pass through like a succession before arriving at God. Even the purest souls will suffer for a while in purgatory, but in the end all souls will be saved. After the final conflagration, there will be another world with its long history, and then another and another. Each will improve on proceeding, and the the whole vast sequence will slowly work out the design of the gods, and that comes from the story of civilization by Will Durant, volume 3, page 614 and 615. Origen was one of the most intellectual Bible scholars, yet strangely enough, he wrote, quote, By some inclination towards evil, certain souls come into bodies, first of men, then through their association with irrational passions, After the allotted span of human life, they are changed into beasts from which they sink to the level of plants. 
from this condition they rise again through the same stages and are restored to their heavenly place. And that comes from De Principalis, Book 3, Chapter 5. Origen, also discussed in his book Contra Celsium, quote, gradually through the centuries there were a few others who toyed with the idea of reincarnation. The noted Saint Augustine, who lived from 354 to 430 AD, the Bishop of Hippo, who pondered on the subject and in his book Confessions of St. Augustine asked the question, Did my infancy succeed another age of mine that died before it? But he concluded that he had no one to tell him, not even mine own memory. He, like many others, could not find answers from the scriptures. For a quick Christian historical review of the philosophy of this time period, let's go to an encyclopedic synopsis. And we're on page 40, for those of you who are reading along. Within the Christian church, it, reincarnation, was held during the first centuries of the isolated Gnostic sects. And by the Manichaeans in the 4th and 5th century it was uh, it, but it was in, uh, invariably repudiated by orthodox theologians in the middle ages these traditions were continued by the numerous sects col- known collectively as Catheri at the renaissance we find the doctrine of Giordano Bruno and in the 17th century, in the theophist Van Helmut, a modified form of it was adopted by Swedenborg during the classical period of German literature. Metapsychosis attracted much attention. Gjoth played with the idea and was taken up more seriously by Lessing who borrowed it from Charles Bonnet and by Hardner. It has been mentioned with respect by Hume and by Schopenhauer. (laughs) Anyway, that comes from the Encyclopedia Britannica, 1985 edition, volume 15, page 33. If you guys are interested in reading this book without listening to me just stumble over the words all the time, Like, you can go to the links in the description of the podcast and find these things for yourself. Or you can, if you're watching the video portion of it, you can turn it down and just read it for yourself. I mean, I read so slow that any of you who are reading, like, not out loud, are just going to blow by my reading quickly. uh, Because I read slow, obviously. But, um... You know, if you want to speed it up on YouTube, you can also do that. You can do a times two speed and it'll read faster or go through it faster. Or you can just go to the link in the description to read the book for yourself. Um, And I'm working through these things, laying a foundation for what reincarnation is and the difference between that and eternal lives or that 
in what is called multiple mortal probations, which was restored by the Prophet Joseph Smith and is a very misunderstood topic among uh, Mormon theologians today. Anyway, there is very little to be drawn from the Bible that supports the idea of being born into mortality many times. Mark Albright stated, Many people insist that the Bible teaches reincarnation, citing a number of obscure verses, always out of context and buttressed by explanatory comment, which have highly dubious exegetical roots. Anyway, that comes from Reincarnation, a Christian Appraisal by Albrecht, page 36. Supporters claim that they can prove reincarnation from the New Testament, citing Matthew 11:14, Matthew 16:13-14, Luke 9:18-19, and as evidence. Actually, I'll have to get into uh, into another video because um, uh, we're running out of time on the video part, but the podcast will continue. Okay, so we're going to go through these different verses in the scriptures. And if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. Matthew chapter 11, verse 14. He, speaking of Jesus, asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am, that I the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some say Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Matthew chapter 15, uh, 16, verses 13 through 14, or on page 41. And he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 19 say they believed in reincarnation. Uh, maybe not the same way that other people in the world believed it, but there are there's some evidence for reincarnation for the beliefs among the Jews. One reincarnationalist used the following reason to explain these scriptures. Quote, there are many passages in the Bible itself indicating that Christ and his followers were aware of the principles of reincarnation. Once the disciples asked Jesus, of Jesus asked him about the Old Testament prophecy that Elias would appear, reappear on the earth, in the Gospel of St. Matthew we read, and Jesus answered them, Elias shall truly first come and restore all things, but I say unto you that Elias has come already, and they knew him not. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. In other words, Jesus declared that John the Baptist, who was beheaded by Herod, was a reincarnation of the prophet Elias. Again, speaking of John the Baptist, Jesus said, This is Elias, which was for to come, and he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And that comes from the book Coming Back, page 4. And I want to just point out a couple of things here. This Elias that comes back as John the Baptist, he also comes at the end to restore all things. 
I kind of wonder if the Davidic servant is a reincarnation or of or bringing back of of Elias, who was John the Baptist, who becomes the Davidic servant at the, at the end. So Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest of all the prophets. Well, I mean, he was all right, and we don't have his full record, but like. He might be the greatest of all the prophets because he's the one that does the full restoration. So I know I'm going to get into some hot water with some of you, but Joseph Smith laid the foundation for the restoration. But the Davidic servant is the one that comes to fully restore all things. And in DNC section 124, we see that... Um, that Jesus was going to restore a whole bunch of stuff in the temple in Nauvoo, but it was never finished and it was rejected by by Jesus. The whole church was, including the temple, and all of the things that were supposed to happen there, none of them ever happened. So um, that would be something that Jesus said, all they who hinder this work will be cursed to the third and fourth generation, which I maintain is up to 160 years before the before it would start to come again. So my three-year-old is talking to me right now. I don't know if you can hear him. He says he wants me to look at him. Part of the reason I do the 10-minute video increments is so that if I need to get up to take care of anything for him or whatever, I can I can just pause the podcast recording and end the video and then do the thing that I need to do and then come back to this. <clears throat> and... Uh, but also, TikTok only allows me to do 10-minute video increments, and that's fine. And I post it on TikTok and on YouTube as well. So, all right. The fact that some of the people thought Jesus was John the Baptist, Elias, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets does indicate that they thought Jesus could have been a reincarnated person. Since this was a common belief among the Romans, they could have applied it to the Savior. That was what Herod believed and had said, quote, however, Peter came up with the correct identity. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, which shows that Jesus was not a reincarnation of one of the prophets. Here was an excellent opportunity for Christ to have said something in support of mortal rebirth. But nowhere did he give any uh, credence to it. And like maybe they just weren't ready for it at the time. Anyway, uh, volume, I'm sorry, page 42, continuing. A further clarification explanation is found in the Mormon reference book, The Compendium, by Richards and Little. Quote, John the Baptist was an Elias. So they're saying that John the Baptist held an office and he wasn't actually the Elias, but there's an office called an Elias or a forerunner of what is, of, for that is what the name or title Elias means as he came to prepare the way before the Lord. In the same sense, Joseph Smith was also an Elias because he came to prepare the way before the Lord preceding his second coming. The office of John was that of an Elias, wherefore the Lord referred to him as such. Page 281. And I maintain that these are the doctrines of men mingled with scripture. Personally, I I just don't think they know what they're talking about. 
they come up with uh, ideas that sound good to their ears. So, Another quotation used by the teacher of reincarnation pertains, pertains to the blind man. Quote, And Jesus passed by. He saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So how does a child or a man sin before he was born? Or was it his parents that sinned so that this man was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but the works of God should be made manifest in him. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. The man, they infer, could have sinned before he, he was born. Jesus answered by saying only that the works of God could be, could be, be manifest in his healing. This would have been another opportune time for Jesus to talk about reincarnation, but he never gave it a sentence of substantiation. The question does imply, however, that the disciples believed in the doctrine of a pre-mortal life. Still another passage, which has often been quoted by those who believe we must be born again into mortality, comes from John 3, 1 through 13, a portion of which reads, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In 3, 3, Jesus then clarifies that that type of birth, this was not born again of woman, but rather born of water and of spirit. So he could enter into the kingdom of God, verse 43. Uh, in verse I'm sorry, that's, we're on page 43 now. We're in verse 5 now. Okay. He continued with, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, unto thee, ye must be born again. Verses 6 and 7. It is very clear that Jesus was talking about water baptism and spiritual confirmation, not a physical and mortal rebirth. The prophet Joseph Smith explained, being born again comes comes by the Spirit of God through the ordinances. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 3, page 392. All right, I got to stop this video and make a new one. All right, continuing on. With the history of this philosophy among the Christians, there is evidence that some sort of belief in reincarnation existed among the Druids of Western Europe. Also, from ancient Irish records, there are stories of rebirths of some of their heroes. The Far East has generally supported a belief in reincarnation for many centuries, much more so than in American and European nations, where where its popularity groweth. (laughs) It is more recent. A blending of Christianity and a modern transmigration philosophy is becoming more and more accepted in these Western countries. For example, the Reverend W.R. Alger, a Unitarian clergyman, published a book on it in the 1860s entitled A Critical History of the Doctrine of a Future Life. 
In it, he advocates that when the soul leaves the body, it is born anew in another body. Its rank, character, circumstances, and experiences in each successive existence, depend, depending on its qualities, deeds, and attainments in its preceding lives. Page 475. The same principle has also been accepted by other modern philosophers since of, uh, such as Hume, Kant, Schopenhauer, Revere, I don't know, and McTaggart. So we're on page 44 for those of you who are reading along with me. The Theosophical, I don't know, groups. The seven organizations discussed in this section fall under the general classification of being theosophical, supporting any various philosophies or religious systems that propose to establish a direct mystical contact with the divine principle through contemplation or revelation, etc. And that's Webster's New New World Dictionary, 1982. Beginning with the larger, more well-known groups, we will briefly discuss number one, Madame Blathoski, number two, the Church Universal and Triumphant with Elizabeth Clare as prophet, number three, the Roscurians, number four, Alice Bailey and the New Moon, number five, Guy Ballard's I Am Order, Number six, the Joy Foundation Incorporated, and number seven, Morningland Church of the Ascended Christ. Madame Bavla Bavosky, the theory of multiple births did not gain much of a foothold in the Christian nation among the appearance of the writings and teachings of Madame Helena Petrovina Balvat who lived from 1831 to 1891. Helena was born in Russia in 1831 in an aristocratic family and became interested in the occult and mediumistic influences at a very early age. She was recognized as one of the most influential writers on the whole psychic occultic world and wrote two major books, Isis Unveiled in 1877 and The Secret Doctrine in 1888. In 1875, she founded the Theophysical Society with Henry Steele Olcott. One author, Susie Smith, paid her this tribute, and we're on page 45, and we're going to quote from this Susie Smith. It is one dynamic woman. It is one dynamic woman, Madame Helena P. Bavansky, who is responsible responsible for bringing the theory of reincarnation into common knowledge in the West. In fact, occultism as we know it today owes everything to her. One of the most controversial figures in history. Madame Bavonsky was either a saint or a devil, depending upon which version of her life and times you read. 
probably the real woman was a combination of the two and certainly more interesting because she wasn't Lily White. I don't know what that means. Huge, earthy, dirty, sloppy, chain-smoking cigarettes, which she rolled herself and not above using hashish or opium, this clever and captivating adventurous, a psychic of proved ability, had a much va- had so much validity and such great personal magnetism that she challenged the interest and commanded the loyalty of many of the intellectuals of the last century. And quote, Reincarnation for the Millions by Smith, page 44. In her early writings, she rejected the idea of being born again and again, but later she became converted to it. The organization of her theosophical theophala, society was an outgrowth of spiritualism, which at first she considered as coming from the lower regions. In 1879, Blavatsky and Alcott sailed for India and made up headquarters in Adyar. However, when she discovered Hinduism and Buddhism, she became fascinated with them and began to believe in the teachings of the spiritual manifestations of the masters who could reveal themselves, reveal mysteries and knowledge. An altar was set up and soon messages and letters from the spirit world began to arrive. The doctrine of rebirths was revealed to her through this new avenue of spiritualism. Her theosophy accepted this higher vibration, also adopting some of their yoga, yoga and meditation from one of her own. From one of her works comes the following. I'm really struggling through this book. (laughs) We stand bewildered before the mystery of our own making and the riddle of life that we will not solve and then accuse the great sphinx of devouring us. We're on page 46 for those of you who are reading along. But verily there is not an accident in our lives, not a mishap today or a misfortune that could not be traced back to our own doings in this life or another life. The Secret Doctrine by Belavinsky, Bavitsky, whatever. A scandal arose concerning an ancient document she claimed to have discovered. Soon it was revealed that the document was a forgery, the work of Helena herself, and she left India never to return. This charge followed her for nearly 20 years. After Madame Blavinsky settled in London in 1887, she became acquainted with Annie Basent, who became a close colleague. In 1891, Madame Blavinsky died and Anne Besant's career was launched forward when she succeeded Blavinsky as head of the society through her efforts. It became a worldwide organization. The Theosophical Society in America was started in New York City under the direction of William Q. Judge, 
From the beginning, there was resentment at the control of American Theosophical Society of India. I was just thinking, okay, so I'm having a lot of times mumbling my way through this. And aren't you happy that I don't mumble as much as Moses or Enoch did? Just, Just saying, I mean, I'm trying to see something like see some light I'm trying and I don't know why it's so hard for me to read today and sometimes I do really well and sometimes I don't I wish my wife could read for me all the time because she actually is really good at reading hi Arius hi. for those of you who are watching the video this is my son Arius he's three years old and he is my little buddy are you my mister yeah? Okay. Anyway. Both Judge and Annie Bessant, Bessant hoped to take over the control of the society. However, when Bessant spoke to overflow crowds at the World Parliament of Religions in Chicago in 1893, she won fame and recognition, which didn't help Judge's hopes for control of the society. Judge later claimed that Bassant was under the control of dark forces, and in 1895, he declared his organization as being independent from the British headquarters and began the Theophysal... I'm not even going to try to say that word anymore. Ah, Society of America. Through these two groups and resulting outcroppings of such societies, the ideology of multiple lives has grown throughout the United States. I'm sorry, hold on. You need to stop. I'm making a video and we're not watching monster trucks today. Not until I'm done with this, okay? Okay. All right. He wants to watch monster trucks. Oh, dang it. I went too far in this video. Let me finish it and I'll be right back. Okay, let's see here. Susie Smith observed, if Theo... Oh, I tried practicing this word when I was taking a break. Theosophists. It's just my tongue doesn't work with that word. I don't know why choose still to believe in the existence and power of their Mahatamas. Uh, that is their business. It has also become the business of many spiritualists and New Age churches throughout the country. Reincarnation for the Millions, volume, or page 51, and we are on page 47 if you're reading along. Number two, Church Universal and Triumphant by Elizabeth Clare Prophet. In 1958, the Church Universal and Triumphant was started in Washington, D.C. by Mark L. Prophet under the direction of the spirit of the Ascended Master L. Moria. These masters, who are immortal, God-free beings, initiated the publication of their teaching to tell others how they victoriously passed all of their tests 
and trials on earth through reincarnation or a round of rebirths. Elmoria was first contacted by Helena Blavatsky and is considered to be the chief of the Darjeeling Council of their Brotherhood. In 1966, their headquarters moved to Colorado Springs, Colorado, where publishing continued. Their Montessori School was established in 1970, promoting bilingual education for the children of the Keepers of the Flame group, which eventually grew into a full elementary and high school program. Their Summit University was founded on Santa, in Santa Barbara in 1971 to provide more intensive teachings of the Ascended Masters, Ascended Master and the Keeper of the Flame, and the students go through an intensive 12-week summer sessions. In 1973, Mark Prophet died, but his wife Elizabeth assumed full leadership of the organization which added groups throughout the United States, Canada, Europe, Australia, the Philippines, and Africa, or on page 48. Elizabeth Clare Prophet, perhaps today's most successful and recognized reincarnationalist, claims her authority came from the Savior himself. The vision of the church was given to me as I saw beloved Jesus the Christ in heaven standing on the altar of the mighty cathedral. And Jesus revealed to me that it was time for that church and so Jesus appointed me to inaugurate this church and he placed me upon the mantle of the vicar of Christ which means simply the representative of Christ. Mother Mary is the last head of the church when Jesus left. End quote, the Great White Brotherhood Prophet by Claire Prophet, I guess. Page 295. In 1974, the Church Universal and Triumphant was incorporated and the Summit Lighthouse remained the publishing arm for the group. In 1976, the headquarters moved from Pasadena, California, and two years later to Malibu, California. The international headquarters moved in 1986 to a 33,000-acre Royal Teton Ranch just north of Yellowstone Park in Montana. Ooh, man, that's some cold country. I was actually up there one time. It was 25 below zero, and my diesel had uh, gelled up which means that everything turned off and I lost heat for four hours as it was 25 degrees below zero outside. And all I could do was wrap up and I'll never forget that day. Uh, And it's the reason why today I carry a portable heater with propane in the cab of the truck in the wintertime so that if that happens again i'm not going to die of freezing to death in 25 below zero weather (laughs) anyway they are advocates of organic farming ranching and self-sufficient spiritual community the group has combined the judeo-christian religions with those of the far east they believe that human beings are conceived in the mind of god and are born as manifestations 
of the duality of God and and that the I am presence is the central sun around which the individual evolves. According to church teachings, the goal of life for the soul involving evolving through numerous incarnations is to purify him or herself and to become one with Christ while the physical and while in the physical embodiment. The master teaches the science of the spoken word, the use of prayer, mantras and decrees to call forth light as the key whereby the soul can achieve this goal. Encyclopedia of American Religions, page 1150. We're on page 49 now. The number of members of this church is not available because it is against their policy to publicly give out such information. However, during a visit to their ranch and publishing house, the author, Ogden Kraut, learned that the ranch provides work for nearly 700 people. Their printing establishment in Livingston, Montana, involves over 124 members. That's such pretty country up there, you guys. If you've never been to Montana and seen it with your own eyes, like, they call it Big Sky Country. Like, you just... Pictures don't do it justice. It, it is Big Sky Country. And those of you who have been there know exactly what I mean. And those of you who haven't don't have an inkling of an idea of what I'm talking about. (laughs) It is interesting to compare the complicated and bewildering teaching of Elizabeth Clare Prophet to the clear and simple communication of the Prophet Joseph Smith. The latter said, I never designed to communicate my ideas, but what are simple? For to do this, I am sent. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 5, page 529. Joseph Smith also said, I do not calculate or intend to please your ears through superfluity of words or oratory or with much learning, but I calculate to edify you with the simple truths from heaven. And that's in Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, page 1. I wish they'd give a better um, reference for that because Journal of Discourses didn't start coming out until the Saints already in Salt Lake, which was after the death of Joseph Smith. So, Anyway, he advised others to do the same. It will be well to study plainness and simplicity in whatever you publish for my soul delight delighteth in plainness and that's from teachings of the prophet joseph smith page 164 brigham young testified that brother joseph succeeded in his goal quote when i saw joseph smith look um, when i saw joseph smith he took heaven figuratively speaking and brought it down to earth and he took earth and brought it up and opened it up and and opened up In plainness, the simplicity of the things of God, and that is the beauty of his mission. Journal of Discourses, Volume 5, page 332. So we're on page 50 now. 
Both the Bible or the Bible and the Book of Mormon are records that teach history and the gospel in relative simplicity. W.W. Phelps testifies, "The Book of Mormon is just what it was was when it came when it first came forth, a revelation from the Lord. The knowledge it cont- contained contains is desirable. The doctrine it teaches is from the blessed Savior." Its precepts are good, its principles righteous, its judgments just, its style simple, and its language plain, so that a wayfaring man, through a, though a fool, need not err therein. Messenger and Advocate, September 1835, page 178. Arius, stop making all the noise. Okay. The Lord revealed to Joseph Smith that if something is not right, it will leave you with a stupor of thought. DNC section 9, verse 9. The Lord revealed that, not Joseph Smith. Which is what most people would experience after reading the following statement by Elizabeth C. Prophet. Quote, On the four o'clock line under the hierarchy of Taurus is God obedience. The ascended master Godfrey, whose mastery of the fame of obedience makes him eminently qualified to deliver us the flame of God, obedience, and to give us the initiations of love under the hierarchy of Taurus. The seven mighty Elohim serve with Godfrey to, to train millions of live streams in law of conformity to the inner blueprint. Huh, interesting. Beloved El Moria holds the position of Gemini on the five o'clock line, governing the energies of God, wisdom, and testing us with the reinforcement of the legions of Mercury, in whose twin flame of Gemini, the Alpha Omega cycle, which comes through that five o'clock line. This is ridiculous. Seraphis Bay hierarchy of the Ascension Temple, working diligently with the great Seraphim and Cherubim, initiate us in the white fire core of the Mother, the flame of purity, which we call God Harmony. To master the Mother Flame on six o'clock line, we must master the flow of harmony we must be able to hold the reins of harmony in our four lower bodies. This is not an easy thing in so, so much as it is a testing of the water element of the energy in motion and requires that we keep harmony while in, in motion, in action, when for some, for some it is difficult to keep harmony while standing still. The Great White Brotherhood by Prophet, page 181, and we are on page 51 now. Oh, I really don't like reading this stuff. Like, I'm glad that Ogden decided to lay the foundation for this stuff and to see how how often the weeds it's gotten. And I actually do like this book, but when I read a book, I'm going to read the whole book. And I figure that we can take 
the truth as gems among the dirt. So when I used to mine sapphires up in Montana, when I was a kid, we would stand in water, in puddles of ponds of water, and we would scoop up all of this gravel. And then we would flush out all of the dirt, and then we would put this um, foam thing in this box with the screen on it and we'd flip it around and then we would take some tweezers and pick out the sapphires among the weeds and the gravel and my grandparents loved to do this we actually owned an opal mine in idaho hey i'm trying to read you need to be quiet Anyway, uh, we owned an opal mine, but we also sold sapphires, and we cut sapphires, and we cooked the sapphires, because there's like a process that goes into making them into jewelry. Anyway, but um, it was just something that we enjoyed doing as a hot... My grandfather was like a a rockhound person that loved to make jewelry. It was like his hobby. And he taught that to me as a kid. But anyway, I look at that as like, yeah, we we had to go through a lot of junk to find the sapphires. But when we fell on the sapphires, I mean, they were pretty. And like, we'd go through pounds of this rocky gravel junk. And we would come out of it with a small bag that was like a quarter full of sapphires. So anyway, Arius. You need to go somewhere else. All right. Certainly an important key of determining the truthfulness of the principle or doctrine should be its clarity and simplicity. So I try to get all of these read before he wakes up, and he actually woke up before... um, my oldest son, Emmett, who will be 16 next month. Or no, he's 17 now. Yeah, he's 17 now. Anyway, but uh, Arius usually is in bed before Emmett, uh, like after Emmett already gets up. So and he doesn't have school today because of midterms. So, all right. The Rosicrucians, Rosicrucians. The ideal and teachings of the Far East also found representation in the West through Freemasonry and Rosicrucianism. A revival was experienced in the 19th century through the formation of several Rosicrucian groups, the first of which was begun by and named after a Christian called Rosencrucia or something who learned these teachings during his travels in the Near East. Rosocristians derive their traditional concepts from the mystics of Egypt, however they have adopted some of the theosophy, Freemasonry, and other parapsychological. Other fraternities involved early in the 17th century, some as, such as the Illuminati founded in 1676 by Adam Weishaupt, I guess. In 1670, 
Abe D. Valer published a book entitled Mysteries of the Kabbalists and the Rosicrucians. While the Rosicrucians violently opposed, later Villar was murdered, some claiming that the Rosicrucians were responsible. The Rosicrucians' lodges grew in number during the 19th century, but unfortunately, some were bent on fraud. Also about the same time, the Freemasons added a Rosicrucian degree to their initiations, and the Rosicrucians became greatly influenced by the Freemasons. In 1865, a Masonic order of the Rosicrucians was founded in London by Robert Wentworth Little, and we're on page 52, the history of the Rosicrucians in the United States dates to 1694 with the ch- with the chapter of perfection in Germantown, Pennsylvania. Some of their teachings come from the Kabbalah and German occult teachers. The modern Rosicrucians teachings are like those of the Theophists and Freemasons with a form of Christian Gnosticism and mysticism incorporated. Transmutation, psychic powers, meditation, and yoga teachings are all included. And the next one is Alice Bailey and the New Moon. Alright, number four. Alice Bailey and the New Moon. Alice Bailey, who lived from 1880 to 1949, at first joined with the Theosophy practitioners, but later claimed that Miss Besant was using an autocratic demands upon her subjects. So Alice began her own work in in transmissions. During her lifetime, she wrote 21 books on her observations, which often included meditations and contemplations in the full moon, and also founded the Archaean School. After Alice's death in 1949, the movement splintered. Number five, Guy Ballard's The I Am Order. Guy W. Ballard from 1878 to 1939 began an an interesting group of mystics and occultic followers, leading them into the theosophic, uh, I can't say that word, whatever, teachings of the I Am movement. This occult metaphysical group based in Ballard's claims on the appearance of a personage who called himself Omnipotent Life, Omnipotent Life, who taught him about cause and effect, abundant supply and reincarnation. This personage then changed into a mystical figure of Saint Germain, the 17th century occultist who had become one of the ascended masters. The Saint Germain described his mission as one of investigating seven golden age, or the I am age of the eternal perfection on earth, Excuse me. He said he had hunted unsuccessfully all over Europe for someone strong enough and faithful enough to do the work. But failing there, he came to America and founded Ballard. 
1932, Ballard began to release the message of St. Germain and, and other spiritual beings who had become the Ascended Masters. By the way, we're on page 53. By 1939, at the death of Ballard, over one million people were members of his group. During its history, the IM group underwent several setbacks uh, or former students. I'm going to have to do a video again. Hold on here. During its history, the IM group underwent several setbacks, i.e. former student Gerald B. Bryan wrote a series of books against them and other former members who brought up also brought up charges that Ballards were teaching a that the Ballards were teaching a false religion. All of this resulted in an indictment against them for mail fraud through misrepresentation and mail, uh, false promises. The hostile press caused many students to leave during the ensuing eight-year legal battle, eventually resulting in the rebuilding and the formation of new organizations. The headquarters for the main group was in Schaumburg, Illinois. They now have 300 centers throughout the United States. And then I think this is the last... Oh, there's two two more small topics, and then it'll be the end of the chapter. Pretty long. Really boring reading, and I'm sorry that this is a more interesting, but... All right, number seven, Morningland Church of the Ascended Christ. This church was founded by Daniel Saperto in Long Beach, California in 1973. Saperto claimed to have experienced Avsha or divine incarnation of the Ascended Master on page 54. Donato into his body and became the true personification of oneness. His doctrinal teacher teachings are based in the Holy Scripture Scriptures, unanimical, ecumenical creeds, and apost, holy apostolic tradition. United Lodge of Theosophists, Sanctuary of the Masters present, and the list goes on and on. <clears throat> it can truthfully be said that when men men depart, every minutely even minutely from the simple teachings of Christ's gospel they begin to wander into and accept all sorts of strange unusual and mystical teachings transmigration and reincarnation seem to always be part of those bewildering theof I hate that word I don't know how to pronounce it Whatever, it's stupid. I'm just gonna skip it. Bewildering speculations. Why can't it just be wilder, be bewildering speculations? Why do we have to have these stupid words? <sighs> and I know some of you out there are like, "Well, I know how to say it." Well, that, that's nice for you. Congratulations on your luck. Christ commanded his apostles to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16, verse 15. But down through the centuries, just the reverse has taken place. Those creatures who are supposed to receive the gospel instead 
have instead taught the messengers and the philosophies of men among which is their belief in reincarnation. So um, when I come back to doing this particular book, we'll be in chapter 6, which starts on page 55, and it's uh, learning by experience. So uh, let me just end this video. Okay, so this is a very short chapter. Um, we're reading a different book now. It's called The Teachings on the Doctrine of Eternal Lives. And we're in chapter 4, which is a very short chapter. So that's good, because that last um, thing that I read... So I'm doing the videos, but this is also a podcast for those of you who are watching the videos. And we're talking about reincarnation and the doctrine of eternal lives and how reincarnation has gone off into the weeds, but it stems from a true doctrine, which is the doctrine of eternal lives, which we're going to get into with these parts. And I'll put all these videos on the TikTok and also at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon or the, the iTunes podcast designs redemption radio network. So we are on page 29 of the teachings of the doctrine of eternal lives. And we're in chapter 4, the second comforter. Joseph Smith stated, let's see here. Now what is the other comforter? It is no more or less than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And this is the sum and substance of the whole matter that when any man obtains this last comforter, he will have the personage of Jesus Christ to attend him or appear unto him from time to time, and, and even he will manifest the Father unto him. So it's not just Jesus, it's also the Father being manifested to this individual. And they will take up their abode with him, and the visions of the heavens will be opened unto him, and the Lord will teach him face to face, and he may have that he may have a perfect knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 150. Joseph Smith also stated, Now there is some grand secret here, and keys to unlock the subject. Notwithstanding, the apostles exhort them to add to their faith virtue, knowledge, temperance, etc., Yet he exhorts them to make their calling and election sure. And though, and though they had heard an audible voice from heaven bearing testimony that Jesus was the Son of God, yet he says that we have a more sure word of prophecy. That's where you see Jesus face to face, which I have done. Wherefore, or I'm sorry, whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed as unto a light shining in a dark place. Now wherein could they have a more sure word of prophecy than to hear the voice of God saying, This is my beloved son, etc. Now for the great or for the secret and grand key. Though they might hear the voice of God and know that Jesus was the Son of God, this would be no evidence that their election and calling was made sure, that they have had part with Christ and were joint heirs with him. 
because there's a ceiling thing that has to be that has to happen there for this in order for this to happen um continuing on with joseph smith they then would want that more sure word of prophecy that they were sealed in the heavens and had the promise of eternal life in the kingdom of God, then having this promise sealed unto them, it was an anchor to the soul, sure and steadfast, though the thunder the thunders might roll and lightning flash and earthquakes bellow, the war gather thick control, yet this hope and knowledge would support the soul in every hour of trial, trouble, and tribulation. The knowledge through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the grand key that unlocks the glories and the mysteries of the kingdom of, he- uh, of heaven. History of the Church, Volume 5, page 388 and 389. So I wanted to talk about this a little bit. So um, I was converted to Joseph Smith as a true prophet of the Restoration in 1996. In 1997, I received my patriarchal blessing, wherein it said that I have been given the gift of eternal life. Um, I had uh, leaders in the church tell me that this meant that I had my calling and election made sure. I didn't know what that meant, and I did not know how that could even happen, because like before my conversion, I was like a hardcore goth drug addict, and I hated the Mormon church and Joseph Smith. And then God completely wiped that out, and he he put me in the lowest place, and then he brought me back, kind of like Alma the Younger, or is it the older? I don't know, Elder. It's the Younger. I can't remember. Anyway, but um, I was converted to Joseph Smith as being a true prophet of the living God at that point in 96. Um, but before that, like, my life was ridiculous, and it was, it was crazy. Anyway, so... From 97 all the way till 2003, I kept studying lots of different topics, and God gave me revelation on different things. And, and I said, how in the world is it possible that I can have this this gift of eternal life, knowing the life that I've lived? And, and Heavenly Father would always say, it's not because of who you are now in this life, it's because of who you were before you came here, which did not help me at all. I'm like, what are you talking about? So anyway, um, in uh, 2003, as I was studying the scriptures and asking God what it meant to have my calling and election, I was taken up to another place physically. And I climbed a mountain, which I later on found out is called Mount Vashel, which means beautiful God. And in this temple, I went into this place in the Holy of Holies through the veil, and I stood in the presence of the Father in the flesh and I fell on my face and he told me to arise and he embraced me and I embraced him and I felt his flesh and then he told me to kneel before him and I asked what he was doing and he told me he was sealing me up unto himself that I might be sealed up unto unto eternal life so when Joseph talks about being sealed here that's a physical ordinance now being the witness of the Father and the Son as I was foreordained to be before the formation of this world, before all of this, I was ordained by the Father himself. Um, 
I believe that most people get their calling and election by a visitation of the Savior. Now, Joseph Smith said that he will make the Father manifest unto the individual that has received their calling and election. But my role as the witness of the Father and the Son um, makes me an apostle of the Father, not just an apostle of the Son. I also saw Jesus Christ in that experience in 2003 and embraced him in the flesh and sat down with him. And he told me a whole bunch of things about my life. But he, one of the things that really, I don't know how... I don't know how I feel about this because uh, I'm still really angry at some of the stuff that was allowed to happen to me. But Jesus told me that all of the things that I have been made to go through, which includes abuses on every level, um, which I don't want to get into the details of, that God allowed me to go through those things that I might be molded and made into the servant that God needed me to be. So, and I'm 45 years old, and I still have some issues about the things that happened to me as a, as a kid and as a teenager. Um, but I'm working through it, and I've been working through it my whole life. But uh, it's hard. Anyway, but um, part of being having your calling and election made sure it's in ordinance. You're actually sealed up. Now, when I was sealed up to the Father, I became the link on the earth so that when others are sealed to me in a chain, they are sealed directly to the Father and to the gods and all who are sealed to the Father, thus turning the hearts of the fathers from the, from the children to the fathers and the mothers in heaven and the hearts of the fathers and the mothers in heaven to the children on the earth. So... Anyway, um, the next chapter for this book will be Chapter 5, Joseph and Brigham Knew More Than They Could Teach. And we'll get into that on another day. So, anyway, um, that's the end of the podcast uh, for today. And it's an hour and 45 minutes long. And I'm actually going to be traveling at 6 p.m. tonight. So I'm just going to drop this as a podcast. Um, I am going to spend a couple of nights in Salt Lake City at a friend's house, uh, a friend that I've had for a long time, very, he's one of my best friends, and um, unfortunately his dad is passing away, but I think he wants to go because his mother, his wife, um, the mother of my friend passed away a couple of months ago and dad does not want to be on the world in the world anymore and anyway he's he's having a lot of issues but he's in a in an assisted living place now so we're going to go spend a couple of days at the house where my friend grew up which he lives right across the street from they own like 15 properties in this area they call the compound it's like a block of Salt Lake up on the east side and um, we're going to go enjoy our friends and uh, probably play a bunch of games and stuff like card games or board games or whatever. We always love doing that stuff with our friends whenever they come down and we haven't been able to go up there 
for quite some time because the dad is kind of uh, Hitlerian. <laughs> He's a uh, Stalinistic, I guess. He's kind of a jerk, but um, very interested in money and wealth and control of other people. And um, it's interesting. Like there's this library in this man's home that is large, a large, large room where he has all of these old restoration books and um, we're going to go take a look at them. He actually was one of the heads of church security and get this, he does not believe in the restoration or Joseph Smith anymore at all. But he continues to pay his tithing, even though he hasn't been to church in like since he retired like 20, 25 years ago, whenever it was, because he has a fear of the church, understanding the upper workings of the church and how things are. He has sent the church his tithing paid in full every year. He doesn't believe in the restoration, but his position of authority in the security division of the church and knowing what goes on behind the scenes, he pays that because he is in fear for his life. Which is like something that most people would never expect, but some of you actually do know what I'm talking about. So anyway, but he is uh, in an assisted living care center now, and uh, and we're going to go spend a night at my friend's childhood home since the dad is not there to be a tyrant anymore. So anyway, no closing music today. This will just drop as a podcast. Thank you for listening, everyone, and... Um, I'll try to put something out on Monday again. Like I said, the next book, like these books, uh, these chapters in this teachings of the doctrine of eternal lives, these are the gems that I want you to hear. And sifting through the reincarnation stuff, that's like sifting through the dirt. And most people will never get to the gems, but that's fine. So it is what it is. I'll post it all in the videos. People can just watch the videos um, on youtube.com forward slash user forward slash God is my compass or on my TikTok. I am known as Red Pill Mormon on TikTok. If you want to follow me there, that would be great. All right. Well, I'm going to let it go. Thank you for listening. Take care, everyone. God bless and goodbye.